0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today as we study the Bible with you. Uh, If you're a first time viewer, you've probably figured out from the name of the program, that's what we do here is study the Bible. Uh, But the way we do it is a little different, perhaps. We ask our viewers to tell us what they'd like us to talk about. So if you've got a question about the Bible or something you've always wondered, uh, just use the phone number or the website at the bottom of the screen. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about, and that's what we'll discuss on Know Your Bible. Get all kinds of questions, detailed. Uh, what's this verse mean? And we get a lot of life questions. Well, what's the Bible say about this topic? So, anything like that that's on your mind, let us know. You direct the program, and we'll try to answer them as fast as we can. When I say we, I mean my partner, Toby Leverin. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're here to try to help us all know our Bible a little bit better. Uh, before we take the first question, we're going to have one for you. We always do. Here's your question for the day: What food did Jesus cook for breakfast? And yes, that's in the Bible a story about Jesus cooking breakfast. So uh, we'll answer that one at the end of the program. See if you know that little bit of Bible information. All right, Toby. Looks like you drew number one today. So get us going.
1: You uh, were asked a question. I heard someone say that a bad situation was caused by Satan. Not by God does Satan have power. Okay, well, this is uh, I probably have heard something similar. You might hear say, "Well, the devil uh, ha- caused this to happen, or Satan made me do this, or whatever." Uh, in truth, um, I don't think Satan can force his way into anything. Now, you ask the question, "Does Satan have power?" Of course, he's he's called the prince of this world, and that tells us that in this world. Uh, there is some degree of power that he has, but it's limited. Uh, even though he has uh, uh, dominion and, and reign and power in this world, he's limited uh, to what God allows him to do. Um, Satan, if you are not familiar, he was an angel. Now, we don't know much of the backstory there, uh, but he was an angel who was created by God, as all angels are, created beings, but he rebelled. He turned away from God's authority and he fell from heaven. And uh, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So uh, the Bible gives us enough to kind of tease us with what happened there, but doesn't give us the full story. And people, people like to speculate. And we got to be careful with going outside of the, the uh, parameters and margins of Scripture. Um, his power... Uh, both in the spiritual world and in this world it, it is great. We should not underestimate it. Uh, we can read stories like Job and uh, uh, there's a verse in Jude. And th- these verses and stories remind us that <clears throat> we should not. Um, I think one of the things that we often do, <clears throat> excuse me is is uh, we sort of miniaturize uh, Satan. We think of him as a as maybe a small little cute character sitting on our shoulder uh, with the horns and a red suit and a tail and a <clears throat> holding a trident. And that's uh, really nothing at all what the Scripture speaks about. <clears throat> From the beginning to the end, we're told that he's uh, the ancient serpent, the liar. Uh, when he speaks lies, he speaks his native language. So uh, the, the the Bible's very clear that Satan is real, he's evil, and he's out for you. Now, whether he works to make you do things and all of that, I think we go a little farther than Scripture does in that regard. But we need to keep this in mind. Uh, While they are powerful enemies, we need to understand that they were defeated at the cross. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 12, uh, "...the prince of this world will soon be driven out." That's the story of the book of Revelation. I mean, when people get caught up in the weeds of the pictures and the images and all of that, but the, the bottom line of that is uh, the forces of good, uh, the, the light of Jesus, will, will overcome and be victorious over the powers of darkness. And uh, that's the message of Scripture. So don't get too caught up in it. Stay faithful to the Word, stay faithful to the Lord. Uh, Satan can work, Satan has limited power. But it he, it is always uh, limited to uh, what God allows. And uh, if we stay faithful to the Lord, we will be victorious. Let's look at the scripture from John chapter 16, verse 11. The prince of this world now stands stands condemned. Uh, Satan has no power over us unless we give it to him. So I hope that answers a little bit of your uh, question about does Satan have power.
0: All right, I've got a question from a... We got a little more information on this one, but teaches a kids class and uh, the teacher sent us a few questions that her kids had asked that she wanted to answer from us on. So here we go, uh, Where did Jesus and God live before the earth was created? Well, good question. And the good part or one good part of it is that uh, the questioner understands that God existed uh, before the earth was created. God has always existed. Uh, God and Jesus and Holy Spirit have existed uh, forever. They are eternal. They are uh, always, always have been. Now, they are spirit beings, so technically they don't need a place to live. They're not a physical being, so they don't need a house like we do. But the way the Bible talks about it, it talks about being in the presence of God, of being in the throne room of God is one picture. And when it talks about that, it usually calls that place heaven. Uh, so that's what we call it. We say God lives in heaven. Now, we don't know where heaven is. It The Bible talks about it like it's up from us uh, above the earth. Uh, but, of course, like our questioner said, that didn't... Wouldn't have factored in until God created the earth uh, once he made the earth and made people and put us on the earth uh, The Bible picture is that he lives in a place called heaven. That's a bow uh, The earth beyond the heavens the stars and planets and all of that uh, And the other thing we know about heaven is that when Jesus left he said he was going to prepare a place for us so that we could live with God in heaven. So, at the end of our life and when this earth is finally destroyed, we'll get to find out exactly where God lives and what's what that like. Uh, it's going to be better than anything we can imagine. But, to answer the young person's question, uh, God lived in a place called heaven that's beyond our understanding or our finding uh, until we get there someday.
1: All right. A uh, Certainly a Social, <laughs> political, uh, cultural question. A viewer asks, "What does the Bible teach about transgender?" I say it's a, a cultural question because it's something that our culture is—you know—it's—it's it's sort of the latest thing. It's sort of the hip thing, I guess, uh, for transgenderism. But what does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible. Really doesn't speak about transgender. Uh, the tra- transgender meaning <clears throat> you're not uh, you're uh, beyond gender, and the Bible is, is pretty, in my view, just common sense about it. That everyone has a gender. Everyone uh, has that. We know that. Uh, what it is genetically, we know what it is biologically. Uh, when you uh, when a, a lady gives birth to a child, you can tell the moment they come out of the womb what gender they are. So it seems a little strange to me uh, that we're in a world where uh, we question even the basics of science and basics of common sense. Uh, and biblically speaking, uh, there's only two genders, male and female. And um, i That shouldn't really be that controversial, but in our world it is. Uh, Let's look at Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He made them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. Uh, The scriptures are pretty clear, and you go back even to the creation account just a couple of chapters earlier. Male and female, he created them. So, uh, the Bible doesn't speak about (coughs) transgender. The Bible only speaks about two genders, and um, that's basically uh, what the Bible has to say about that. So, I hope that's helpful. Uh, I do think that if you want to do a little more study, uh, you look at Romans chapter 1. And Paul describes what a world looks like that increasingly separates itself from the truth and the knowledge of God. And uh, as the farther we get away from God, from from that we get away from God, who of course, is divine truth. The farther we get away from Him, uh, the more the the crazier and weirder things get. And uh, Romans chapter one just goes right down the list. So you read that. That'll give you some more insights into what a world without God really looks like. I uh, hope that's helpful. All righty. Thank
0: you. Let me take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, We like to study the Bible here with you on this program, and hopefully we get a few of your questions answered, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we'll ever get to. Uh, So we advocate home Bible study, and we've got some tools that uh, we think are helpful in that, some lessons that we can send to you through the mail that you can sit down with your Bible and study through them. Uh, This is the first set you see on the screen now. Then we've got some more advanced courses about different topics and different books in the Bible. And, uh, you can learn a lot about your Bible with uh, Know Your Bible study tools. Uh, we've also had an online course that uh, <clears throat> some people have proven very interested in because they don't have to wait for the mail or uh, do things on paper. They can just pick up their phone or tablet and sit down and do a lesson anytime they want. So we've got those online courses. Uh, just look up oneway.worldbibleschool.org and It'll get you connected to our courses online. But however you want to study the Bible, we'd like to help you. Uh, Phone number, website on the screen, use those anytime. Uh, Just tell us you'd like that free Bible course, and we'll get them started for you. So, study the Bible. All right, question about James. James (coughs) 2.24 says that works are a necessary component of our faith. So... Why would it be wrong to say we are saved by a combination of faith and works? Well, uh, interesting take on that, and that is kind of a age-old discussion uh, about salvation, uh, faith only, or saved by works, or uh, we talk about that all kinds of ways, but this fellow, for you, is right. James talks directly about it. Uh, in one sense, it's okay to say what that viewer said, uh, that we are saved by a combination of faith and works. In fact, if you just take one verse, uh, the one our viewer mentioned, James 2.24, let's look at that on the screen. Uh, James said, you see <coughs> that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, that's pretty clear right there, isn't it? And we could argue that, well, that's what he said. Now, if you read the whole context, what James is saying, uh, he's not really talking about salvation. He's proving uh, the emptiness of just saying that you have faith, just claiming that, okay, I believe. And that settles it. He says, if you really believe, if you really have faith, and I think that's the difference. He's not talking about uh, faith proven by works. He's talking about real faith will show works, and so he talks about it that way. He said, you say you have faith, uh, well, fine, but even the demons have faith, even the demons believe that God is God, so <clears throat> if you really have faith in God, then you'll do something. You'll, it will be seen in your life. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is a full of that kind of thing. It talks about the heroes of faith, and <clears throat> it says, by faith, Abraham did something. By faith, Moses did something. So that's what James is arguing, that if you have real faith, that it'll show up. You'll do things. You'll do whatever God says, for that matter. Now, the danger in what our viewer said is saying, well, I'm saved by faith and works. Uh, here's the danger, the other way to think about it, and let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And Paul makes sure that we understand that we've been saved by grace. He said, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, there's the danger. If we start to say, I'm saved by my faith and my works, then we can start to trust in whatever works we're talking about. Uh, I've been good enough, I've done enough, I've uh, helped enough people, or I've done enough religious acts, or uh, I've done something, I've given enough money, I've done something to earn salvation. And Paul says in Ephesians, no, don't ever think about that. You're saved by grace. It's God's free gift. Now your faith qualifies you for that grace, if you want to say it that way. And James says, if you have real faith, well you'll do something. So uh, I understand what our view are asking and yes in one sense we could say that uh, but the danger is we might begin to take credit or trust in our works instead of understanding that God saved us by grace. So let's, let's say that we're saved by real faith. And when you have real faith, you'll do what God says. There will be some works there to be seen. hope that helps you understand that.
1: Okay, where, the next question of viewer asks is, where does it say that black and white people can't intermarry? Well, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it's uh, unfortunately a, a product of poor theology. Uh, usually, people with uh, um, who have race, racist views, uh, they take those views and they look through the Scripture to try to find verses that justify uh, uh, their racial uh, racist. Uh, views and we have to be careful. Just, uh, just on a larger picture, be be careful when you approach the Bible, because a lot of folks do this and and they do it, maybe not even intending to do so, but they they approach the Scripture looking for what they want it to say, instead of simply humbling themselves and and looking for what it actually says. That's important for us to do as Bible students, Um, but for the direct question about black and white people intermarrying, the scripture doesn't say anything about that. Uh, There is only one race that the Bible is concerned with uh, in the scripture, and that's the human race. The story of the scripture is of God uh, chasing after human beings after their choice to leave him. And uh, he does that through the Old Testament and the New. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, uh, the covenant that God was in with his people were the descendants of Abraham, the uh, the uh, people of God, the, the Jewish people, the descendants of, of Jacob, also known as Israel, the Israelites. And so uh, there were, as a part of that Old Covenant, specific... Uh, commands in the Old Testament that applied to the Israelite people that talked about intermarriage. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 3 through 4 is one of them. And it says, furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall... Not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for there they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and He will quickly destroy you. Now, some people look at that and they they uh, really. You know, they just begin. Well, okay, intermarriage between people from different descendants and different lineage is not allowed. Well, you know, how far do you go with that? If you if you take a, a DNA test, you'll figure out that there's a, a most of us have a lot of DNA from a lot of different races, and uh, so it's it's very rare that any of us is actually from one specific race. Um, but the scripture just doesn't deal with that. Uh, that particular scripture in Deuteronomy is speaking to the Israelite people, and it had nothing to do with racial prejudice. It had everything to do with religious reasons. God says, listen, these people worship foreign gods. You intermarry with them, and they're going to pull you away from me. And that was a big concern to God, but it had nothing to do with their skin color or the language they spoke or anything like that. Now, the scripture in the New Testament, which which is, as followers of Jesus, what we are bound under today, is very specific. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, that's a similar principle. You have someone who's following Jesus, who loves the Lord, who is a big part, studies the Bible, reads that, worships every week, and they're looking at marrying somebody who does not believe believe in God, doesn't worship God, doesn't bind their life under the authority of the Lord Jesus. Well, you're going to have a pretty difficult marriage. Scripture is pretty clear. But that has nothing to do with the color of their skin. It has everything to do with their faith and trust and belief in God. And, and that's just wisdom. So it doesn't say anything about intermarriage. Uh, there are no restrictions on that. You just uh, you know have to use wisdom as you, as you do that. Let's look at one final scripture. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, 26 and t- through 28. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus so uh, that's the focus of scripture and what uh, what God wants us to focus on hope that helps
0: all right we've got a question about uh, military I guess if a soldier kills an innocent bystander will they go to hell for doing what they were ordered to do All right. Let's start with the go to hell part. Uh, So he's asking a biblical question. What's God going to do about this situation? And that takes us into does Bible. Does God say we ought to be pacifists and not ever fight or resist or kill? Uh, Or does God allow us to serve the government and be soldiers and be policemen and defend ourselves and all that? Uh, And that is a matter of conscience. Some people are totally convinced the Bible teaches pacifism and hold to that, and that's fine if that's what their conscience tells them. Uh, I personally, and we've taught on this program, that uh, Romans 13 does authorize us serving the government, and the government serves a purpose, and Christians can serve in the military. Uh, But, like I said, it's a matter of conscience. So To answer his question, we've got to get into the realm of man's law, and I think that will help us understand it a bit. Uh, If I could just answer that question, yes or no, then there would never be any trials or court-martials. That's what trials and court-martials are about, to find out a person's intent and what really happened when you say they killed an innocent bystander. Let me illustrate. The Nuremberg trials uh, were against, uh, to try the Nazi leaders and prison camp guards and all of that. And those of you that are old enough to remember or have read some history, uh, their defense was well, I was just doing what I was ordered. I was doing what I was told to do. I was following orders. Okay? And we know that wasn't a good enough reason. There is a level at which Man has to follow his own morality or God's morality. And to kill six million people in prison camps because you were ordered to isn't a good enough reason. Now, that's what the human courts said, and I think God would agree with that. Uh, so a court martial or a court or a trial has to determine not just did you follow legitimate orders or and what was your intent. So if there's something happens in war and innocents are killed, uh, it could be an accident, it could be uh, involuntary, or it could have been intentional. It could have been on purpose. And that's what the court-martial tries to decide. What was the intent? Uh, was it intentional or was it accidental? And uh, to me, that's what the question comes down to. Bad things happen in war, and yes, innocent people get hurt. But sometimes it's just what we call collateral damage, and sometimes it's intentional. Somebody does something wrong or cruel or vicious. So uh, that's what the court martials try to determine. So I think uh, spiritually, God will handle it. He he understands, He knows the heart, He'll get it perfect. Uh, But a key is how our physical, our uh, earthly courts and trials handle that sort of thing. Uh, The difference is God will get it right every time. (laughs) Let's take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We're kept on the air by Churches of Christ and like to mention a few of them each week. Uh, Here's two of our partners that help us in different uh, broadcast areas. Uh, our broadcast in Springfield, Missouri is, uh, We're partnered up with the Watermill Church of Christ in Springfield uh, Drop in and visit them sometime If you live in that area They are a great help in that area And then in Burlington, Iowa The broadcast that comes out of Rock Island uh, Our friends at the Burlington, Iowa Church of Christ uh, Keep us going and are a big help to us So I uh, appreciate you giving them your thanks If you know somebody that worships at one of those congregations you're looking for a church home. Drop in and visit one of them sometime. All right, till we got time for one more. Absolutely,
1: here. yeah. Uh, the question is, does the Bible uh, say to partake of communion every <coughs> Sunday? And uh, I can tell you that the Scripture is pretty clear that uh, partaking of the Lord something of uh, the Lord's Supper was something that was important to Jesus, and certainly very important to the early church. Now we know that Jesus instituted this as as he partook of the last Passover supper with his disciples. It was practiced in the early church. First Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at that on the screen. First Corinthians 1123 through 26. Paul writes, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me," that's important, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So people can get sort of legalistic about, well, is it every month, every week, every quarter? We just think it was an important thing to do, and Jesus said it was to be done in remembrance. See, human beings are quite forgetful, and it's easy for us to forget what God has done. And one of the most important things that God did was send his son to to live and die as sacrifice for our sins, and that's what the Lord's Supper is about. So, in the churches of Christ, generally you'll find we do this every Sunday, because every first day of the week is the example that we have from Scripture. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread. We know it was a part of the <coughs> worship experience of the early church, and very important to them, and of course to us. It helps us to remember, and that's the important part about it, so that we look ahead to what Jesus is doing that he's returning. I hope that helps you.
0: All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today, and it is what food did Jesus cook for breakfast? And that story happened after his resurrection. He was cooking fish on the bank, and uh, the apostles were in the boat and came up and saw him and uh, had breakfast with him. So, great story from the Bible. Glad you've been with us and hope you come back next week. Uh, until then, we hope you have a great week. The